0: Well, please do keep your Bible open in Matthew chapter 5. I want to extend a word of welcome, except it's kind of confusing how to do this word of welcome. I'm here and I worship with the congregation called Redeemer Community Church here on Sunday afternoons. And since it's a Sunday afternoon, it feels a little bit like this would be a wonderful opportunity for me and for us to say a word of welcome to our brothers and sisters who worship here in the mornings as a part of the congregation known as Advent Christian Church. But the trick is, this is your place. And so as much as I want to say welcome to you all at Advent, uh, really, this is our opportunity to say we'd like to welcome those of you who are a part of Redeemer Community Church to Advent's place today. Uh, and, uh, and, and as part of Redeemer, um, for those of you who are here, uh, who normally worship with Advent, uh, I just want to say it is so wonderful to have you worshiping with us today. It's such a privilege for us to get to use this space week after week, uh, to sing praises to Jesus, uh, and to do ministry. And we just want to say thank you to you. Um, and if somebody, if you're part of Advent and somebody stole your seat today, I would love for you to feel free to go and tell them. If you need to like move them and just say, That's my seat that you're sitting in. You feel free to do that. Uh, We've got some folks who will back you up, if need be, all right? Sincerely, though, as much as I want to say kind of that word of thanks, um, really the bigger thing I'd I'd like to do is instead of highlight the differences between Redeemer and Advent, um, I'd like to highlight and emphasize what unites us. And I'd like to highlight and emphasize that while we typically do worship at different times on Sunday, we worship one Lord Jesus and we listen to one, one Holy Bible. We, we are filled with one and the same Holy Spirit and we have one heavenly headquarters, one heavenly destination toward which we are headed. And so, as we gather together to worship this afternoon, this might feel a little bit different. It might feel, in some ways, uh, like a different kind of Sunday. But this is actually just kind of a warm-up exercise for an eternity of of united worship of Jesus Christ, uh, of the One who sits on the throne and the Lamb who is slain forevermore. And so really, I, I, want to wor- I want to welcome all of you, whether you normally worship in the mornings or you normally worship in the afternoons or whether you just stumbled in today and you can't figure out what's going on in this whole announcement thing. I want to welcome all of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who loves us, not just one congregation or another, but who loves us and gave himself for us. I'd like to welcome you in the name of Jesus we're going to pay attention today to some of what Matthew chapter 5 uh, has to say. And so the really cool thing is that you can go home and tell people that today you heard the greatest sermon in history. <laughs> of course, I don't mean my sermon. I mean the Sermon on the Mount. If you know anything about Jesus... I presume that you have heard about his most famous block of teaching his most famous message his most famous sermon this sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7 as a church we're going through Matthew's gospel uh, over time and we're learning about Jesus and discipleship in other words we're learning about who Jesus is the real Jesus, and we're learning what it means to follow him as disciples, and we're learning also what it means to make disciples of Jesus. And from now until Palm Sunday and Easter in this Lent season, if you will, we're going to be looking one or two lines at a time to the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount, this This introduction, these beautiful words that begin the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 through 8, called the Beatitudes. Today we're zooming in on the first Beatitude. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are beautiful words, but what do they mean? I'm really eager to say a few words about what kind of a difference these words can make for us. I'm eager to talk about what kind of a difference it makes in my life, what kind of a difference it can make in your life if we believe what Jesus is saying here. But before we get to the difference that this makes, we're going to ask a couple of important questions. First of all, what's this blessing? And secondly, Who are the blessed according to Matthew chapter 5 verse 3? Blessing is an idea that is obviously and emphatically repeated in the Beatitudes, which Lisa read a minute ago. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. But what is this blessing? We use the word blessing or blessed often, right? If you scroll through social media like Facebook or Instagram or other things like that, the word blessed is surprisingly common. People will post their photo as hashtag blessed if they get a new car or if they have an epic meal at a cool restaurant or at an extravagant family gathering or on those days when people just feel kind of over-the-top awesome. We take a selfie and we say, hashtag blessed, with a big smile on our face. But when the Bible talks about being blessed, the idea is almost always much more centered on God than it is on us. In the Jewish culture, the most famous blessing Comes from Numbers chapter 6. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. To be blessed then has to do with our relationship with God. Not just having a cool car or a great meal or great friends. To be blessed in the way that the Bible talks about blessing has to do with our relationship with our Creator. It has to do with God, our Maker, smiling over us with His face shining upon us. And in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, the promise of God's blessing is connected with the promise of the Kingdom of Heaven. For the sake of time, I'll simply say that the kingdom of heaven is what we all dream of. Heaven's joy. Heaven's peace. Heaven's justice. Heaven's healing. Heaven's love. The Lord Himself making all things new. The Lord Himself in the midst of His beloved people. And of course, if we dream of the kingdom of heaven and then we open our eyes, we realize very quickly that the world around us is not yet fully experiencing the kingdom of heaven. Not yet fully. Not until Christ returns. When Christ returns, there will be no more suffering. There will be no more death, there will be no wrong, there will be no more evil, no more tyranny. Only joy and peace and justice and love reigning forevermore. But there is a very real sense that while the kingdom of heaven is not yet fully here in our experience, the kingdom of heaven has begun to dawn, if you will. The first rays of lights have begun to shine throughout this world with the dawning and the first arrival of Jesus Christ. And the blessing of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 is this. It's the blessing, the promise of Jesus that His disciples have already become citizens of the kingdom of heaven even if the kingdom of heaven has not yet fully been experienced here on earth. Jesus' kingdom is not yet here in full, but Jesus promises that his disciples are already citizens of that kingdom. The analogy that I like to use for this is the picture of kids in the Christmas season, right? So like December 1st, It's weeks away from the big day when the presents will be opened. It's weeks away from that family gathering and all of the joy and excitement that will go with it. The day is still weeks away, but even on December one. Even if there's just one present under the tree with a child's name written on it, that child already begins to experience the joy of Christmas Day, right? That child, even on December 1, even weeks away from the big day, begins to experience the joy. Why? Because we might say theirs is the blessing of Christmas. And they know it. There's a present under the tree with their name written on it. They haven't opened it yet. They haven't yet got to the full experience of that Christmas gathering. But the Christmas season has arrived. And the announcement has already been made. And their name, his or her name, is already written under the tree. And in a similar way, just as we might say... Theirs is the joy of Christmas already, even on December 1st. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you are blessed because yours is the kingdom of heaven already. There's a fuller and richer and deeper experience of the kingdom of heaven yet to come. And yet even today, Where we are in March of 2022, disciples of Jesus, you are blessed because yours is already the kingdom of heaven. Yours is already the joy of that kingdom and the peace of that kingdom and the hope of that kingdom and the light of that kingdom that has already dawned. It's yours by the promise of Jesus Christ. You are already a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is the blessing that Jesus holds out in Matthew chapter five, verse three. But the next question is this. Who is that blessing for? Who are the blessed? Or maybe more to the point, what does it mean To be poor in spirit. Let me start with describing what the poor in spirit does not mean. To be poor in spirit is different than being spiritually rich. If we're spiritually wealthy people, we say in our souls, I've got it all. Maybe we need to add in our day that to be poor in spirit is not only different than being spiritually wealthy. Maybe we need to add in our day that to be poor in spirit is also different than being spiritually middle class. To be middle class, we might say, if we're middle class, we might say, I don't have it all. I know I don't have as much as some people do, but I'm confident that I can earn it if you just give me enough time. If we're middle class in spirit, we say, I don't need charity. If we're middle class in spirit, we say, I've worked hard. You know, I've done my job. And I don't have as much maybe as that person does. But if you give me enough time, I'll pay my own way. Thank you very much. And in a world full of people who live as if we are spiritually wealthy, I've got it all. And in a world full of people who live as if we're spiritually middle class, maybe I don't have as much as others, but I'm confident I could earn it if you give me enough time. Jesus comes along and he says, Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Blessed are those who know that they don't have it all. Blessed are those who not only know that they don't have it all together on the inside, but they've given up even hoping That if you just give them enough time, they can earn it and put the pieces back together themselves. Blessed are those who are not spiritually wealthy. Blessed are those who are not even spiritually middle class. Blessed are those who are spiritual beggars, Jesus says. To be a beggar is to admit, I don't have enough. And I need to ask. I need to depend on what someone else can give me. Jesus told a parable one time to illustrate the difference between those who are spiritual beggars and those who are spiritually wealthy. Luke chapter 18 tells us that he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and as a result treated others with contempt. Isn't that interesting? It was true in the 1st century and perhaps it continues to be true today when we find ourselves believing I've got it, I've got it all. We not only find ourselves puffed up in our relationship with God, we also end up treating others kind of with contempt, don't we? And the parable goes something like this. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one of them a Pharisee. Pharisees are very good religious people. And the other, a tax collector. Someone who works for the government in a time of intense tyranny and in a time of intense poverty. And in a time when many of those who would have heard Jesus' teaching would have known what it feels like to live oppressed by the government. Jesus says, let me tell you a story about one person who is a religious worker in, in the religious world. And let, me tell you one, and let me tell you also about a person who works for the evil government. <laughs> the Pharisee. Standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. You hear, this is the story of a person who says, I've got enough. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus' analysis of this little story goes like this. I tell you, this man, the one who was spiritually empty, who couldn't even look toward heaven but just looks down at the ground, hitting himself in frustration, saying, God, show me mercy. Jesus says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will get humbled. But whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You see, here's the point that Jesus is drawing our attention to in the very first line of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are spiritual beggars. Blessed are those who say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, rather than those who show up thinking they've got it all put together. Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Why? For theirs already is the kingdom of heaven. Now, what does, what difference does it make if we believe Jesus' promise? It's a question I want to take a few minutes and think about together. What if Jesus is really true? What if it, what if what Jesus is saying is actually the truth that blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs really is the kingdom of heaven. What difference will that make for us? What will Jesus' promise create in us as we believe it to be true? And Let me point you in a few different directions here. First of all, what does Jesus' promise create in us? It creates Humility. The New Testament gives us a picture of a real life Pharisee. Jesus' story about the Pharisee and the tax collector is just a, just a parable. It's just a story. But the New Testament gives us a picture of a real Pharisee who went from believing he had all that to counting it all as loss. And then finding something even better than having all that in himself, in Jesus Christ. That story comes from a Pharisee called Saul of Tarsus. We usually know him today as Paul the Apostle who spread the good news of Jesus Christ all over the world in his day. But here's how he explains his testimony of learning humility. He begins with this kind of boastful statement. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But listen to how this man who once saw himself as as having it all as having plenty Listen to what he discovered. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith or through believing or through trusting in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith that I might know him. And the power of His resurrection, and that I might share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then he's quick to clarify, I'm not saying that I already have obtained this. Nor am I saying that I am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind And pressing on toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Listen, this is the testimony of somebody who has discovered humility by believing that Jesus' words are true. Blessed are the spiritual beggars. And I wonder if some of us, maybe in our own way, kind of similar to the story of Saul of Tarsus, I wonder if we've got our own resume pieces that we like to trot out in our own hearts or in our own minds or in our own souls as ways of feeling good about ourselves, as ways of feeling like I've really accomplished something, as ways of feeling like I've really got it all together, or at least as ways that let us look down on others with contempt, to use Jesus' phrase. In my own life, I know that spiritual pride has been connected sometimes with my upbringing. Spiritual pride has been connected with feeling like I'm part of the best church in the city of Aurora. Spiritual pride can get connected with feeling like I've really figured some things out that other people haven't figured out. Spiritual pride can get tangled up in feeling like I hang out with people who've got it figured out. But I think over time, as we follow Jesus Christ, all of us need to learn this kind of humility that Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount. The kind of humility that says, I'm actually forgetting what's behind. I'm actually letting go of my own background. I'm actually letting go of the ways that I think we've got it all together. I'm letting go of the things that I think set me apart. I'm letting go of those things that I think give me an opportunity to look down my nose in contempt on others. I'm letting go of those things. But why? So that as a spiritual beggar, I can come to know Jesus so that I can discover the surpassing worth of knowing him. So that in humility, I can begin to receive and discover something that I would never find or experience as long as I'm full of myself. So that I can begin to discover the joy of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven by grace Through faith, not having a righteousness of my own based on my background, but having a righteousness that comes through faith, through trust, through believing in him. Blessed are the spiritual beggars, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And one thing that produces in us when we believe it is a certain kind of humility. A certain kind of humility that teaches us to draw near to God saying, not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy laws demands. Could my zeal no respite no? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not Uh, uh, all for sin uh, all could never sin erase thou must save and save by grace nothing in my hands i bring simply to thy cross i cling rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee that's the kind of humility that we begin to learn when we take jesus at his word and we believe that The spiritual beggars really are blessed. We learn to draw near in humility. A second thing that Jesus' promise will create in us, as we believe it to be true, is a certain kind of hope. Maybe a bit of transparency on my heart, uh, on my part, will help here. Um, My week this week did not begin at a strong point at all. Just the opposite. On Monday morning, I woke up with my emotions way out of control. I don't fully know why. I had preached three different sermons to three different groups of people in 24 hours on Saturday night and Sunday. Maybe I was just a little bit tired. But I woke up deeply disappointed with myself. I woke up deeply discouraged. I woke up feeling angry at myself. I woke up kind of inwardly writhing in regrets over things that I wished I would have said better or said more clearly. I tried to pray, but I just felt like I couldn't even talk to God. I felt like praying was impossible. It was not just physical exhaustion. I was depleted. I was discouraged. I was a mess. I had nothing left. All I could manage to do was text a few friends and ask them to pray for me while I felt like I couldn't even pray for myself. In a way, that was my not-so-fun experience. (laughs) of beginning this week not in spiritual strength but beginning this week in spiritual poverty beginning this week as a spiritual mess and i sincerely hope that your past week went better than mine did and i sincerely hope that your next week will not find you as desperate and out of control emotionally as i felt on monday morning but here's the thing where can we go when we feel like we're just a mess and then when the enemy gets involved and the enemy begins to bring accusations against your conscience you're such a spiritual mess today you don't belong among god's people Such a spiritual mess today. You don't have any business ministering to anybody else. Where do we go when we find ourselves just empty spiritually? Feeling like there's no fuel and nothing left to give. Where do you go when you wake up on Sunday and you just don't even feel like going to church? In such moments, the enemy wants to convince you that you are hopeless. But better news, the gospel of Jesus Christ brings. Blessed are the empty in spirit. Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Blessed are those who've got nothing in their hands to bring on Monday morning. Blessed are those who show up at church feeling like there's nothing. There are no emotions registering right now. Blessed are the spiritual beggars, for theirs already is the kingdom of heaven by grace through faith, Jesus promises. You see, there's far more hope than you realize in those moments when you feel like there's absolutely no life registering in your soul spiritually. There is far more hope than you realize because there's far more grace for you than you realize. And so if at some point this week you find yourself feeling absolutely on empty... Or if at some point this week you hear the accusations of the enemy coming after you personally, saying, you got nothing. After all these years of calling yourself a Christian, what do you have to show for it? The enemy will accuse you. I want to invite you to get back to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you To believe that the words of Jesus are true. Blessed are the spiritual beggars for yours. And I'm talking to you, brother or sister. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. what does jesus's promise create in us it creates a certain kind of humility it creates a certain kind of hope it creates third a certain kind of compassion listen what kind of community is going to be built in the church of jesus christ if we gather around a king who says blessed are the poor in spirit What kind of community is going to be built? Not a community of self-righteousness and pride and arrogance and superiority and looking down on others in contempt. No, a gospel-shaped community is full of compassion and gentleness and patience and honor and dignity even for those who stumble in feeling like I did on Monday morning. Why? Because even for those who feel miserably inadequate, the words of Jesus remain true for all who trust in him. Blessed are the spiritual beggars, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And as we believe that to be true, It not only gives us hope to draw near to God ourselves individually, it creates a certain kind of compassion with which we love those who are feeling like they are at the bottom of the well themselves right now. It creates a certain kind of love and brotherhood and camaraderie with those who stumble in feeling like I got nothing left. It creates a certain kind of mercy that we extend toward others around us. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does Jesus' promise create in us? A certain kind of humility that says, I'm forgetting what's behind, but I'm pressing on toward what's ahead. A certain kind of hope that leads us to draw near to God in faith and leads us to say not today to the temptations of the enemy who wants to accuse us. A certain kind of compassion that leads us to welcome one another as God in Christ has welcomed us. But also, as we believe Jesus when He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, it also creates in us this welling up of praise and worship. You know the question that the prophet Micah loves to ask Who is a God like our God? It's almost like a taunt that the prophets sometimes throw out. Who is a God like our God? Where are you going to find that kind of mercy? That kind of compassion? That kind of grace? That kind of welcome? Who is a God like our God? Who is a Lord like our Lord Jesus Christ? who reaches out and says, blessed are the spiritual beggars, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This creates in us a certain kind of praise as we realize that our Lord Jesus Christ not only taught these things as sweet-sounding invitations, but track with me here for a second, He gave His own life to make these blood-bought and eternally secured promises. The gospel of Jesus Christ not only tells us that those who are spiritually poor are welcome to enter the kingdom of heaven, the gospel of Jesus Christ tells us that Jesus gave his life to secure this for us. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the reasoning of the New Testament. You know about the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though He was rich, He was full. Though He was rich, yet for your sake, He became poor so that you, by His poverty, might become rich. Here is the one who had it all. And yet he counted equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but poured himself out, emptying himself, becoming like us in every way, and becoming obedient to the Father even to the point of death and even death on a cross so that by His death in our place, through His becoming poor on our behalf, we might share forevermore in the fullness that is freely offered to all who come as spiritual beggars, to all who simply find the humility to admit the honest truth, I don't have it all together. I don't have that much to boast in. But who come to Him in humility and faith, for all who come in humility and faith, He offers in exchange for our poverty, His fullness, His enoughness, His riches forevermore. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The words that he not only spoke to give us hope, but the words that he promised and gave his own life to secure forevermore. Blessed are the spiritual beggars. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of heaven. At this time, I want to invite those who are going to serve the elements of the Lord's Supper to come forward. We're going to take the Lord's Supper